Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we continue in our study of the book of Jude with verses 17 through 20. Jude is a warning to the church against certain ungodly persons who creep into the church unnoticed. These people infiltrate the body of Christ and can inflict tremendous damage. Please listen to Pastor Jim as he presents today's portion of this week's message entitled, But You, Beloved. In verse 11, with the pronoun them, verse 11 begins three-word sentence, woe to them. Woe is that pronouncement of divine damnation. And then uh, Jude gave us an avalanche of illustrations to describe those infiltrators. And he goes on from verse 11 through verse 13. None of these descriptions do you want to wear. Gone the way of Cain, rushed headlong into the error of Balaam, they are hidden reefs in your love feast, clouds without water, dead trees, wild waves like a hurricane leaving its wreckage, wandering stars that are headed for darkness. The sixth reference to them in verse 14, it's another these men. Verse 14, it was all also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied. Now, as Scott explained when he got to this passage, the, the reference here is from the book of Enoch. That's part of a group of Jewish books, Jewish writings, collectively known as the pseudepigrapha. Now, it contains some things that were said by the man Enoch. You can read about him in Genesis chapter 5. He's, he's one of two people in the Bible that, that got sort of a personal rapture. He didn't die. He was just taken directly to be with the Lord. The other one is Elijah. Okay, I thought, I thought you finished my sentence. Okay. Um, but this book, the book of Enoch, was not written by Enoch, uh, and it's not part of the canon of Scripture. Nevertheless, it was well known among Jews of the first century, and it came to be well known by all of the early Christians, both Jews and Gentiles. So Jude just simply quoted something with which they were familiar that reiterated his point. I could quote to you from Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. That wouldn't make the Gettysburg Address inspired, but if it's illustrating a biblical principle, I could use it as an illustration. That's, what, that's all that Jude is doing. And the reference to the book of Enoch describes these men in several ways. And there is definitely a theme word in what he included there in verse, um, in verse uh, 14 um, and 15 and 16. All the ungodly their ungodly way deeds done in an ungodly way and harsh things spoken by ungodly sinners. He's talking about the fate of the ungodly and the fact that there are ungodly ones who infiltrate the fellowship of God's people. Now, 
I'll give you a little sidebar here. Scott, um, being as respectful as he is, didn't want to trample on my turf, knowing I wrote my master's thesis on the identity and the sin of those angels back in Jude 6 and 7. So he left it to me to tell you that something else interesting about the book of Enoch is that the book of Enoch contains the oldest known comments on Genesis chapter 6. And it tells us that the best of Jewish scholars uh, a century or two before Jesus understood the sons of God in Genesis 6 to be demons. Now, that was what I came to understand that, that to mean. And that in itself, the fact that that is in Enoch, doesn't prove that my interpretation of Genesis 6, Genesis 6 is correct. But along with all the exegetical reasons for saying they are fallen angels, it's kind of like a cherry on top of the whipped cream of the conclusion that uh, that is the correct understanding of that. So if you disagree with me, you've got a few centuries of interpretation to, uh, uh, to, to argue against. And you can get to heaven without a proper understanding of the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6. But it's more fun to agree with me, so uh, take that. Reference number seven to the creepy ones. Verse 16, the pronoun these. These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And from that description, we know more about these infiltrators. They are grumblers. That's that word gongudzo in the Greek. It means murmuring about circumstances. They're finding fault. They not only complain about circumstances, they find people to blame for those circumstances. Following after their own lusts, they're, they're, they're selfish. They want to have things their own way. They speak arrogantly. They are self-inflated and they love flattering people. They are uh, manipulative And if you assemble all the pieces from all those references to the creepy ones, it's easy to see they subtly do the opposite of all of the one another's of the body of Christ. There's a a Greek reflexive pronoun, alelon is how you say it, that is translated one another. And it's one of the most fascinating studies you can do. If you want to just, you know, clear your head of a whole bunch of clutter and figure out what does God want me to do in regard to other people? Go study the one another's. There's a couple dozen of them, and we've studied them in the past. You can even find sermons on it on our website if you want to. Fascinating thing. The creepy ones do the opposite. Look at some of that summary there in verse 16. They're grumblers. That refers to the, the quiet discontent with things in the church. It's the same word that's used over in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Their grumbling describes the quiet behind the scenes, complaining, the whispering, the mumbling, the, the sour expression. And then uh, disputing refers to open criticism and attack like Korah and his cohorts did to Moses and Aaron that Jude referred to earlier. Finding fault describes the person who is not at all interested in finding a solution to a problem, but always interested in blaming it on someone 
who complains against God for his will. That's an, a word not used very often in the New Testament. I, we, we found a use of it in a, it came from a, a description of a character in a Greek play. And this character was described in the play this way. You're satisfied by nothing that befalls you. You complain at everything. You don't want what you've got. You long for what you haven't got. In winter, you wish it were summer, and in summer that it were winter. You are like the sick folk, hard to please, and the one who complains about his lot in life. So what is Jude's point in all of this? Don't play games with God and His people. Uh, flattering people there and uh, speaking arrogantly and following after their own lust. That is a perfect description of much of what is done in churches these days designed to make people feel good. I have lived through the arrival of and the planting of the seeds and the sprouting of the plant of, the, of this entire self-esteem movement. When I was in school, we didn't talk about self-esteem. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was never a subject. Now it's the cornerstone of, uh, of anti-Christian psychology. Well, your problem is you don't have high enough self-esteem. Now we know what, we know what people mean by that. It isn't that there isn't a, a kernel of truth in there if you're constantly uh, diminishing yourself and all of that. But the point is, the whole self-esteem movement is absolutely antithetical to Christianity. The problem is not that you don't have enough self-esteem. The problem is you have way too much self-esteem. That's why Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, meaning apply as much love to your neighbor as you do to taking care of your own self. Humility is what will allow you to know the Lord, serve the Lord, build up other people, and oh, what does He do with the humble? He exalts them. You want to build your self-esteem? Head for the bottom of the heap and start lifting up other people. You understand that's antithetical to Christianity to speak arrogantly, to manipulate people. What, what does 2 Timothy chapter 4 say? And, and, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction because the days will come when people want to have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teachers who tell them what they want to hear. Now, it wasn't on Sunday morning last week, but since I was last with you, I, I, I also listened to a rather in-depth uh, exploration of what, um, what, what Joel Osteen preaches. And it was, it was appalling, absolutely appalling. It, it, and it was, it was all excerpts from interviews that he's done. When somebody like Larry King or somebody else would say, so, so what is your position on same-sex marriage? And he always begins his answer the same way. Well, I don't know. That's always what he says. You can't know the Bible and not know God's design for the human race. Male and female, he created them. 
If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.